the fabulous WSUM Madison Studios, it's Do It Live, hosted by the Do It Geeks. Today's topic is interactive computing simulations. It may look like a game, but it's really a lot of math just disguised like a game. Joining us in studio, from the Department of Mechanical Engineering, John Fotenhauer, along with our regular geeks, Ty Christian, Adam Wiesenfarth, and Jesse LeGrew. And now, broadcasting live and local on 91.7 FM, and streaming worldwide on WSUM.org, please help me welcome my co-host, Ty Christian. It's Thursday, Thursday. Show on Thursday. Everybody's looking forward to the gaming, gaming Thursday, Thursday. WSUM on Thursday. Today we're talking about gaming. Yes, sir. How you doing, Ty? Partying, partying. That's the part where you have to say, yeah, yeah. Partying, partying, fun. Yeah, we're having fun, 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 fun. Welcome, today. y'all. Welcome to Do It Live, <laughs> the most connected radio show on the planet. How you doing today, Ty? I'm doing very good. I'm Jesse, doing wonderful. Jess, Jesse's in the studio with us today, too. How you doing, sir? Oh, I'm doing great. <laughs> Je- Jesse's doing a lot better now that I sang that song, yeah, that's, I think. That's I think it's great. Yeah, I, I wish, again, I wish we could just kind of project his face through the radio because it would just really make everyone smile, I think, right now. That's awesome. But yeah, we are the most connected radio show on the planet. We have 16 different ways that you can contact us uh, at the show. Check us out on the main on our main website here, doit.wist.edu forward slash radio. You can uh, call, text, pixt, or voicemail us at 608-515-8768. You can call, uh, you can call WSUM directly at 5WSUM. We've got radio at doit.wist.edu for our email. And, uh, you know, if you get in touch with us today, uh, you can play America's favorite game show, Stump the Geek, where yes, you try sir. to stump one of our geeks here. Uh, any question you want, anything as hard as it can be, it's got to be related to technology or, you know, something, so you can't ask us, you know, like, oh, hey, uh, what, uh, how, how big is, uh, ice, ice fishing hole you need to catch a, catch a groupie? So speaking of ice, though, we do have some folks here to talk about cooling things down uh, from the Cool It Project. You guys are with the Department of Mechanical Engineering, right, John? Uh, that's right. And Mike, sir, we have in studio as well, right? Yes, I'm here as well. Hey, <laughs> thanks for coming in and, and chatting with us today. Um, and, and we've got a whole whole mess of stuff that we got to do here. But uh, first of all, we wanted to start with our regular news segment because Jesse's back, and we want to do some news with Jesse. So here we go. Jesse LeGrew. With the news. So one of the uh, the nice new little things that came up, uh, Steve Jobs, uh, there is going to finally be a, an actual biography that's authorized. So there have been a, lot, a few different unauthorized biographies about Steve Jobs. This will be the uh, first authorized one working with Steve to, to write this. The official title, Steve Jobs Behind the Turtleneck. And, and I was just about to ask you what the uh, what you thought the title was going to be. Oh, <laughs> um, see, I, 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 I anticipated and delivered. And a few different references I heard is a book of jobs. Oh, um, oh yeah. But this other article actually says, I, Steve, a book of oh. jobs. <laughs> That's great. Ooh, and do, that do we have terrible. An, an anticipated publication date for said tome? Uh, it's going to be um, in 2012. Wow. So so first Steve Jobs books then the, then the apocalypse. It it's all making sense. It's 
So yeah, it's it's so there's so much sense that's being made right now. Well, the Mayans uh, apparently their math isn't quite correct. I don't know if anybody has looked into that, but the the date is not quite right from what I really? hear. Really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, we've got people in the studio here with us that are you know total mathematicians, and I'm actually wearing a shirt that says Math Squad right now, <laughs> just to show my math cred off to the world that's here great. via radio. <laughs> what else we got going on this week in news, Mr. Jesse? Well, there is a, a nice new high-powered tablet that just went uh, for sale in Taiwan. Um, the land of my people. The, the, you know, because <laughs> Thai. Anyway, g- continue. <laughs> it actually runs a full version of Windows 7. Um, so it's a high-powered dual processor system, 320 gigabytes of storage. Um, That's a lot of storage, man. It's, it's extremely expensive as well. How much? Uh, a little bit over 22000 What? What? 22,000 watts? Dollars? Oh. Is that American dollars? What? Canadian uh, dollars? <laughs> French dollars? Oh, wait. Uh, no. French don't have dollars anymore. Don't they? What do they have? Oh, I'm just kidding. 787. Se- oh, really? Uh, no, Where'd that's... You... Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> it may, it's some sort of an amount of money that is very high, we'll say. How about that? Uh, well, 787 is not bad. It's a little bit over the uh, iPad. I guess yeah. so. But, you know, what did you say? Is 300-some gigs in there? 320-gig hard drive. Yeah, it actually can... has uh, um, mouse buttons. And, oh, wow. And an Ethernet port. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's is good. It, does it look like a Riverstone, like all of the iProducts? You know, like a polished, wonderful it, device? The screen kind of looks like that. It's It looks a little bit boxier. Oh, okay. A little bit thicker. Huh. So well, you, as... if you put an Ethernet port in, I suppose it would have to be a little little bit thicker, right? Well, you can also use adapters because even the um, a lot of the Apple products and a lot of other ones, you can get USB adapters for. Uh, what What does it run for the OS? Does it say Windows Seven? Windows Seven, full Windows Seven. Oh man, you could play all your games on the bus on your tablet with 320 because you got mouse buttons, you know. <laughs> that's right. So okay, well that's cool. What else we got in the news today, Mister Legrue? Well, the uh, Connect SDK is probably going to be coming out soon. Um, Microsoft, the Microsoft Connect, correct? S- uh, oh, so that people can actually take their Microsoft Connect cameras and hook it up to their computers and make their own software to work with it. Correct, and it could even uh, in the future be more than that. So uh, the SDK should be coming out soon. A lot of people have went around this and were able to make their own software for Connect anyway to to work with that yeah. hardware. Um, but they're also looking potentially into commercial use in the future. So actually having a commercial license, commercial license for um, anyone who wants to use it and sell a product. Yeah, and for all of you who are not sitting in a state-of-the-art digital radio studio, (laughs) an SDK SDK is a software development kit. It's basically all of the software that comes along with, uh, or that you need that goes along with the Kinect so that you can make it do interesting things. It's the software you can use to write more software. That's right, exactly. (laughs) It's programmer's software is what it is. Cool. Yeah. Software writing other software. The software is becoming <laughs> sentient. It's Mike's going to take over. Mike's our coder here, and he's he's all about the software. So, yeah. have you ever coded anything for the Connect? Or no, you plan to? I have not. Maybe in the future. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. You could you could do the cryogenic simulation with the Connect, kind of waving your arms around, like, no, don't touch that rod. It's frozen. <laughs> you X, know? X equals your left arm. <laughs> Z equals your left thumb. There you go. I actually played, you know, I play, I played the Connect recently. It was really interesting. It kind of freaked me out at the beginning, though, when the camera turns on because it automatically tells where you are in the room. So, you know, it might be like facing down, and I'd be facing over, you know, I'd be over in the corner of the room, and it'd be like, and I would 
it knows. <laughs> it knows where I'm at. Can you feel the target on your back? That's oh, yeah. Right. yeah. All I need is a couple of those red dots, and then I'll just run out of the room. <laughs> it's like Terminator 2. I think we got time for one more news tidbit for the day. What else we got today going on, Jesse? Um, a little bit of, I guess, old news, but USB 3 and Thunderbolt is going to be coming kind of a mainstream. They're going to be building it into the new chipsets um, oh. for the Intel chips. Um, they just want people to make sure to build it for the latest architecture. Uh, it's going to be called the Ivy Bridge. Ooh. Ivy Bridge? Well, the latest. Uh, Ivy Y? Ivy Y. Ivy Y, like the plant. Correct. Okay. Yep. Ooh. Instead of Sandy Bridge, which is oh. the current architecture. So. Oh, nice. Interesting. So, Ty, there's uh, all sorts of different ways we can get in touch with us, but do we have anything if people do get in touch with us today? Oh, we do. Let me tell you, buddy, we've got something. If you get in touch with us today and you uh, you know, you know, have the best question, you have the best show topic, or you know, we like you the most, you have the most pleasing voice, uh, that is you know, not a factual statement. But if you contact us, we have a gift card for a retailer that sells caffeinated beverages made out of pressed beans uh, that may... Uh, help you wake up in the morning for an amount greater than $20. Ooh. So if you like pressed bean beverages, please contact us. Try to stump us. I mean, call Ro in. You know, the, we've... the beans are roasted before they're pressed. Well, yeah, but that's just a technicality, really. Okay, fair enough. Just so, asking. Anyway, so call us. Try to stump us. If you have a question, please call us here at the studio, 608-515-8768. If you can't get through on that line, call 5WSUM if you're on any UW campus phone. And uh, you can fax us as well. UW-Madison campus. UW, sorry, UW-Madison yeah, campus. We, we, we don't do system-wide phones. Nope. Here, or you yeah. can uh, radio at doit.wis.edu. You can, you, can, you can email us in. Yeah, so, so. We, we've got some folks here in the studio with us. So uh, for all, the, all of you that are here, can you go around the room and tell us your names and exactly what you do on the Cool It project? Sure. My name is Chris Blakesley. Uh, my role has been jack of many trades uh, on the project. I've... Uh, you know, in team meetings, I think I have a background in instructional technology, so kind of attended to that some. I have a narrative research background, so the story side of it, the backstory of the character, um, helped work with John on that, and also facilitated a lot of the play testing with Dave. Um, so when student, when we had prototypes ready, people would come in, help uh, test it, and see what people thought. I'm Mike Litzko, and I write the code. And uh, also, uh, I'm not a real big gamer myself, but I like to play with simulators a lot. And I like to play with simulators that, you know, simulate things that I can also do in the real world. You know, I, I really enjoy the, the aspect of this, that you can simulate uh, these engineering problems and, and gain a feel for how they work. Mike is underestimating a little bit, I think, when he says he wrote the code and just <laughs> the simulator because he was just key in, in doing all the design stuff and Chris as well so the design really happened as a group effort we just all spent a lot of time in front of a whiteboard trying stuff out it was really fantastic to work with with a PI who you know it wasn't like John came in all heavy-handed at all it seemed like none of us had done this before um, this way so there was just a lot of all of us being uh, really involved in design and thinking through stuff doing art review uh, so all the sound design came out of Chris which kind of blew us away because it was I mean, if you go play the game, you'll see, like, it's good. Like, he did a fantastic job with it. So we all took on all these different roles. 
most of the whiteboard scribbling is my bad scribbling. You know, I go back and look at the photos, and it's my bad handwriting on the, on the whiteboard a lot. So I, I know a number of times I, I started likening myself to Dr. House, if you've seen the show, because <laughs> I felt like I would always hold the whiteboard like marker, but I couldn't think if I had an empty room. So it felt like everybody would just be talking about their ideas, and I would be like drawing them out and yapping back and forth. You know, something about the whiteboard was like our our distributed cognition, you know, our representation of concept. So I spent a lot of time kind of in that role. And then checking budgets and stuff. Did you have like an 11th hour, like, of course, it's, you know, it's lupus. I knew it. <laughs> Maybe. I'm trying to think if lupus came up. Not as much, but I usually was pretty excited when we blow stuff up. Yeah. There's a couple members that aren't here, too, that we should probably mention. Um, we had a bunch of fantastic artists that we got to work with. And we also kind of pulled in... Well, we pulled in a lot of different AT people. So Lindsay Smith came in and consulted on a little bit of evaluation really early on. Josh Morell, you know, kind of chatted us up about how to evaluate things. Uh, we worked with a guy named Eric Peterson who worked for the Do It Print Shop, and he was just a fantastic animator. We worked with another guy, um, uh, Sam Gorski, who was a student here uh, with PTE as well and just did some unbelievable 3D animation for us. A couple of students, Alyssa Romans, helped us with some of the uh, graphics early on. And uh, more recently, Nathan Olson. Because he's an engineering student, and you just see the different kind of way he's interacting with the subject because he's helping us just dig into the player logs and do some analysis of it. So I'm John Fotenhauer, and I teach the class on cryogenic engineering. And so for the first few weeks, I was really important because I uh, contributed the, the content to the game, <laughs> what we were trying to do. But beyond that, you know, I was just uh, a member of the team, and I agree with what David said, that it really was uh, a whiteboard session, brainstorming session, and it was new to all of us. And so there was a lot of give and take and throwing out ideas and sometimes keeping them, sometimes throwing them out. Uh, but it was... Uh, a lot of throwing out. Yeah. So you provided sort of the base math that underlies all of this stuff. Yeah, and it's very simple math. Well, if, John if, if I took three very... semesters of calculus, and <laughs> is that too much? I can't do arithmetic anymore. You could do this I with guess. algebra. Just... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> algebra, really? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I can do that. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so you're all part of the Coolit project, right? Indeed. Yeah. Right. Okay. And can somebody give me a little rundown on what Coolit is, more or less? Just sort of the, an overview of the project? This is a game that we've developed to try to teach students uh, some fundamental issues about cryogenics. It's a course that not too many people take, but for those who do, we're trying to do uh, via a game what you can't do during a semester because there's not enough time, not enough money to do all the kind of training you'd like to do. So before we continue, let me ask you the obvious elephant in the room. Can you freeze my head for posterity? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where's Ted Williams at these days? How's that going? All right. No, I can't do that for you. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can make some wonderful ice cream. So yeah. what, what, tell us a little bit more about the game. What exactly do students do with this game? I mean, really, it's more of a simulation, right? Mm, it has simulation features in it, but it uh, really has a lot of gaming features in it as well. Um, we try to teach the students how to design a cryogenic vessel so that the thing that's supposed to stay cold will stay cold. It's cooled with a refrigerator, but it has these support struts that leak heat from room temperature down to the cold 
environment. And so the, the challenge is for the students to choose the right materials, the right length, the right cross-sectional area in order to keep it cold enough. And, and you're kind of trying to model all this stuff yeah. and see what really might happen if you had the time instead of having a shorter time frame. Yeah, what the students learn um, big time is that there are a whole bunch of options for materials. And I think by playing the game, after they play a while, they learn which materials are good materials, which materials are bad materials. But they also learn, hey, I want mine to be uh, a longer uh, strut, and I want it to be a thinner strut instead of a short, fat one. So do you do anything with the data uh, collected? I mean, is this going towards research, or is it more just for educational purposes for the students? Um, well, I do two, we do two things with the data. One, it, it helps me just gauge how well they're catching on to the idea in class. But um, we've been using the data to see how well the game teaches the material. And all of the moves that they make while they're playing the game are recorded digitally, and we're going back and looking at that record of how they played the game and identifying, here's an expert, here's a novice, <laughs> and here's the novice turning into the expert. So oh. we're trying to be able to see that. So you're still setting up the hardcore mode for, you know, like one hit and you're dead kind of thing? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we blow a lot of stuff up. Mm. Working with John has been great from a, uh, a game design standpoint because there's been numerous times where he's looked at the explosions that we're creating in 3D and, you know, he said, well, that needs to be bigger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bigger explosions always mean more education in my, in my opinion. So. <laughs> That's awesome. So what are you really trying to do? What's the objective of this game? Well, I would say that the objective of the game is to give students an intuitive feel for the, the math that uh, controls the, the heat leak and, and uh, you know, the energy transfer that's involved. Uh, they all know uh, Fourier's law, which is the equation this is based on, but they still because they don't have a lot of experience with it, they don't get an intuitive feel for, well, making the strut longer or making it shorter or fatter or whatever, what that might do. And so what I'm excited about is, is having the students get a feeling for how these things relate to each other that, that you don't get from looking at an equation. I think you could have students who are completely unfamiliar with Fourier's law play the game. They don't need to know that equation. In fact, they'll be able to tell you the equation after they're done playing the game enough times. Not in you know an equation format, but they'll be able to tell you, well, you decrease this and this goes up, you decrease that, that goes down, hmm. and so forth. And thanks very much, uh, Dave and Chris actually have to leave at this point, but uh, John and Mike are going to stay around, chat with us a little bit more. Uh, we're going to take a break, but please uh, give us a call at... Uh, at our wonderful number here, which is 608-515-8768. Almost forgot it there for a second. Or email us at radio at doit.wist.edu. That's radio at doit.wist.edu. Try to stump the geek. You could win a uh, you know crushed bean beverage card for an amount of money. We will be right back with more Do It Live. Take you. 
This sailboat expedition has been wonderful. A whole month of sun and sea. Isn't it refreshing, Ballinger? Aye, Fletch me. I don't feel such a good. Ballinger, you've been awful mopey lately, and you look so pale. Come on, show me a smile. Oh, all right. Ballinger, your teeth are falling out. And your mucous membranes are bleeding. And look, your legs are covered in dark purple spots. And your eyes are sunken. Poor old Bollinger, the devil's in for you. Not to fear. Huh? huh? Captain Scorbutus. Fletchley, don't worry, old chap. Bollinger here will be perfectly fine. You see, old boy, he's got scurvy. And since it's the result of a vitamin C deficiency, all you've got to do is just feed him something high in vitamin C. Like citrus fruit, tomatoes, strawberries, broccoli, potato skins, or spinach. All of which are, coincidentally, of course, wonderfully delicious. Oh, thank the maker. Please don't get scurvy. It hurts. Eat your fruits and vegetables regularly. Hey, and welcome back to Do It Live, the most connected radio show on the planet. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, this week we are talking about gaming, about education in gaming. Uh, before we go uh, to our wonderful guests in the studio here, we've got to tell you tomorrow, as many of you know, is the grand opening of Union South. And yours truly and Adam's truly and Jesse's truly will also uh, be there. We're going to be doing a, a, a show. So go ahead and stop on by. Talk to us about technology. Talk to us about... Uh, I don't know, about pretty much anything. Yeah, you know. Union South opens officially at noon o'clock tomorrow. Mm-hmm. We'll have cookies. April 15th, we w- we might have cookies. Mm-hmm. We don't smell, so come by. Come by, talk to us. We're nice guys. And there's a ton of technology we swear. in Union South, and we're, we're not going to swear. <laughs> and uh, No, we swear we're nice guys. Oh, okay. Yeah. And we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to go talk about all of the, the new cool stuff that's in there. And uh, you should come out because it's going to be a great party, and there's going to be lots of good stuff. Up Montreal is going to be playing later in the evening, too. Yeah, it's so going to be a fun time. Check it out. Um, but in the studio with us, we've got folks from the lovely Cool It Project from the Department mm-hmm. of Mechanical Engineering. We've got, uh, we've got John Fotenhauer. Hello. We've got Mike, Mike Litzko. And uh, thank you, gentlemen, coming in. And, and we were talking with you and your colleagues a little bit earlier. But do you want to give me an idea what are these scenarios are that you're actually playing out in this game? Uh, because I don't think we really covered exactly what kinds of, of real-world situations we're talking about. Yeah, there are two scenarios that I pulled from the proceedings of conferences that I've been to recently. So this is real stuff that people are making. One of them is a minesweeper magnet that the Navy has been developing for a while. You know, they want to find the mines before they blow up the submarine. So it has a superconducting magnet that uh, makes a large magnetic field, and from that field they can detect the the metals nearby. And uh, the superconducting magnet sits in liquid helium, or it's cooled down to low enough temperature so that it can be superconducting. That's and, and so the scenario is build the struts that hold the magnet inside of its storage vessel so that it can get down to the low enough temperature. And it's cooled by a refrigerator, and you got this heat flowing down through the struts, and you kind of got to balance those two in order for it to get to low enough temperature. Because the thing is, is that you're experimenting with this because this is sort of, uh, you're, you're on the bleeding edge of something which is absolute zero and things start to act oddly when you get to that point, right? 
Well, they do. Uh, superconductors have zero electrical resistance when you get them below their superconductivity temperature, their critical temperature, and uh, then you can put lots of current through them, and uh, they make very large magnetic fields if you have them wound appropriately. And they, they can turn into something that's kind of like a plasma, perhaps. No? I mean, a plasma is superheated gas. Yeah, that's the other end <laughs> of the temperature the other end, scale. I know. <laughs> okay, I'm wrong. Never but, mind. But the <laughs> point is, if it's not cold enough, it won't work. And uh, then uh, the sub will run into the mine and blow up. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, that's bad. I'm actually playing this game right now as uh, <laughs> as we're talking <laughs> on the radio. Is that a bad thing to admit? I, it's, such a, it's such a cool game. And you guys, you know, you were right. We were talking earlier. That it's got really interesting intros, a lot of really cool, um, you know, 3D graphics. graphics and that yeah. kind of stuff. Very amazing yeah. job that was done by you and your uh, and your team here. Um and yeah, I got I gotta say, and, and it's all browser based, which is neat. You don't have to install anything. You can just type in type in an address and go play it. And it's open to the world. Is that correct? Yeah. Let me let me see that address. What's yeah? What's the address? Can you guys give us the address? Sure. It's uh, <laughs> tinyurl.com backslash ygteaqk. Hmm. That's a you know I gotta say that's a little bit difficult to remember. Yeah, we might have to work on that. Here. So uh, <laughs> as a as a gift to you guys for coming on the radio show today, we have actually registered coolitgame.net. All right. For you guys, oh, cool. so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna end up wow. doing that and pointing it to your website well, here. Your so hopefully shortly. by the end of today, we will have coolitgame.net. So everybody listening out there tomorrow, go to coolitgame.net and try out this amazing online yeah. game. It'll be fun yeah. times. Yeah. So the second scenario was is about. Um, project that NASA has been working on for a while and maybe working on for years to come, which is to prepare a space depot where they might store liquid oxygen, liquid hydrogen, and just have it up in space so that when some vessel comes near and needs to be refueled, there it is. Well, so when you come to get refueled, you wouldn't want all of your liquid cryogen gone, evaporated away. So mm -hmm. we have a refrigerator that keeps it cold so that it stays there. Isn't, now, isn't space already, like, very cold? Can, uh, can that just be your... I mean, I don't know. I don't know anything about this, so... I think when you're facing the sun, it's the opposite. Oh, oh yes. I guess. So, yeah, you put a shield up, and it could be cold. Okay. Facing okay. away from the sun, it's cold. Interesting. Well, that's great, guys. So, just talk a little bit about why you created this game. It's really to help students, right? Yeah. And, and the part of this is that... What people may not understand is that programming a game or a piece of software or anything really all revolves around math. And you sort of provide this math, as we had said earlier. Yeah. And what that then does is allow, in putting all of that math into something that's a realistic representation of your project in this game, lets your students play with it hands-on in a way that they could really not do in the real world. Yeah. It would take them a long time and lots of money to be able to gain what they can do by playing the game. I have this picture in my mind of this old geezer who's been doing cryogenics all of his life, and you know he's he's paid his dues, he's put in the time and the money, and he knows things intuitively anymore. He doesn't write down equations. He like just, don't stick your hand in liquid nitrogen. Yeah, don't put <laughs> your tongue on the cold metal. Ah. Uh. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Yeah, we were kind of talking about this earlier. It's sort of the same thing with Newton and the apple. You sort of intuitively, intuitively understand gravity because you can see it in action right there. Right. And this game sort of allows you to do that with your cryogenic uh, situation that you're trying to yep. sort of show. Yep. And so far we've developed 
one equation into these various scenarios that the gamer can play. Mm -hmm. And we've got four or five other levels in mind that we've storyboarded, but we've, we haven't We've got them all it. drawn out on the whiteboard and can you give us a, uh, saved away. Can you give us a sneak peek on what you think one of the levels might be? Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, one of them is, is, has to do with things contracting when they get cold, and you don't want things cracking up and falling apart when they contract. So uh, that's important for a designer of cryogenics to get acquainted with. There's another one that, that would allow them to calculate how long is it going to take to cool this down anyway. Right. Uh, uh. Because there's, so there's thermal mass issues. And, and, and then also how much money it takes to run the refrigeration to cool this thing down. Yep, it's in there. Yeah, so you're trying to. You're not only going for getting the the stuff right, but you're going for efficiency as well. That's actually uh, in some somewhat in the problems that we we have now because they have uh, limited power. Uh, the space station um, scenario involves that because you, of course you have very limited uh, electrical power in space to run the refrigerator. I would suspect most of that comes from solar power, right? Like solar panels right, and that kind right. of thing. Right, and you only, you know, they don't let you take as big of a solar generator as you might want when you go off to space. I see. And the same thing on the ship. The Navy has limited power supply. Sure. So. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Well, fellas, we've been talking a lot about a bunch of different technologies here, and you know, to uh, to kind of uh, cover ourselves, we have a, a, a wonderful array of disclaimers that we always ask our guests our guests to read. So, if you would. Uh, in your best uh, radio voice or interpretation of a radio voice, please uh, read our wonderful disclaimers. Oh, my, Mike is stepping up to the plate here. Oh, uh, here we go. Thank you. Okay, number one. The opinions expressed on this program do not reflect the views of WSUM, the University of Wisconsin-Madison, or its Board of Regents. Two, products and services provided by the Division of Information Technology, a.k.a. DOIT, and other university departments, as well as drawings and giveaways, may only be available to students, faculty, staff, or those currently affiliated with UW-Madison. Three, participants of this broadcast may offer opinions or recommendations. However, they do not endorse, nor has any consideration been provided on behalf of the products or services discussed. Masterfully done. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. Excellent. Yay! <laughs> Thanks so much, Mike. <laughs> yep. And thanks, gentlemen, for talking about your game. And uh, we hope you enjoy coolitgame.net as soon as we get that up for you yeah, here. We're, we're working on that. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're, we're in the process of getting that. So, um, you know, we've been talking a lot about uh, games in uh, technology uh, and, or games in, in education and the technology behind that. A lot of our listeners probably are more familiar with, you know, less familiar with educational games, probably more familiar with recreational games. And a lot of them don't uh, probably understand the architecture that goes into the type of uh, games that they play, the kind of hardware behind it. So um, we're going to get on the phone right now uh, an expert in uh, video game hardware. And this is actually pretty monumental because this is the first time that I know of that we're going to do an entire, we're going we're gonna to turn the mics off, we're going to do an entire interview over a radio interview over Google Voice and Google Voice alone. So we're going to give this a shot. So with us in the studio here, well, not actually in the studio, over the phone. And uh, for the first time ever in Do It Live recorded history, this is over Google Voice, completely over Google Voice, uh, Mr. Ken Knope. How's it going? Hi, Ty. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, thanks for being here. So, Ken, uh, you run a, a podcast that is currently on, on iTunes, or it's, or it's going to be on iTunes very soon. Is that correct? 
That's right. Uh, coming up very soon, we're going to have it on iTunes. My video game podcast called Well-Versed in the Classics is we're going to have it up in the next week or so. So, um, Ken, can you take us through a brief history of the hardware behind uh, popular video game systems, maybe starting in the, uh, you know, in the 80s? Well, I think when it comes to home video game systems, you can go back into the 70s. You had the original uh, Odyssey getting released in the early 70s. And that slowly proceeded into the Atari VCS, or the Atari 2600, was the first major uh, home video game system that that's really the one that, sold well. That's the one that came with the, like Pong and stuff like that, right? Well, before that, you even had the, the Pong machines that were dedicated hardware that had the Pong instructions hardwired, and you couldn't make any changes to it. It was a single game. You huh. ended up getting a programmable uh, game systems coming out, which had uh, interchangeable cartridges then. And oh, that's what the Atari and uh, ColecoVision and Television were able to do. You could switch out the games, and that was quite an innovation at the time. So when do so we then, hit? Uh, when do we hit the eight-bit era? Is that is is Atari technically eight-bit, or or is that coming up next? I think coming up next, a lot of people tend to put the eight-bit era with the release of Nintendo's Famicom, and that was in I believe 1983 in Japan when that got released, and that ushered in a whole lot of imitators. You had uh, Sega as well releasing an 8-bit system around the same time. And, and was... that's really when the home video game market started to explode in Japan because by that time, the game market in the U.S. crashed around 83. Atari had a, a string of kind of substandard titles that expectations were very high for. Was like that e. the... Uh, yeah, I was going to say, was that the E.T. title? <laughs> yeah, E.T. had uh, Pac-Man for Atari 2600, which didn't really resemble the arcade game that well. And so there was about a year or so where video games were thought to be dead in the U.S. It was going to be computer games from now on. Oh, and so when the NES came over here in around 1985, that sort of reinvigorated the industry. And that was the uh, advent of uh, games that we know and love, like Super or like uh, Mario Brothers and, and Duck Hunt and that kind of stuff. That came with the system originally, right? I think Mario Brothers came out in '86. It was not a pack-in with the original NES. The NES actually came with that uh, robot, Rob, and uh, had a game called Gyromite that used this uh, robot that you would play along with. Oh. And Mario Brothers came out a year or two after the NES hit our shores. And what came after the Nintendo in terms of, you know, hardware? I think the next step up on the Nintendo was actually the NEC PC engine, or better known as the TurboGrafx-16. That got released in Japan in 1987, and its core CPU unit was technically 8-bit. It was more powerful than the Famicom NES's, but what set it apart was it had a 16-bit graphics chip, which could display far more colors. It had a very fast clock speed, so you could have fast-paced action, lots of sprites moving around on the screen with not as much slowdown. That was a major step forward. Uh, okay, so what came next after that? The next one up was uh, Sega, which had been working with the Sega Master System or the Mark III in Japan during the same time the Famicom was really hot. But by around 1988, they released their successor to the Master System called the Mega Drive, or as we know it, the Genesis. Can you say some of the games that people would be familiar with that came out for the Master System or the Genesis? Now, the Master System had a lot of ports of arcade titles from Sega, so you had stuff like Space Harrier, OutRun, 
Genesis, though, Altered Beast was the original pack-in title, so I think a lot of people, if they played Genesis, they played Altered Beast. And then about two years later, then Sonic the Hedgehog hit. That's, and that became kind of the centerpiece for the system. That's really interesting because I always thought that Sonic was the original thing that was packaged with the the Genesis, but it was Altered Beast, huh? Interesting. It was Altered Beast, yes. There was a year or two in between there, but once Sonic came out, then Sega really knew it had a hit, so then they made sure to package a Sonic with every subsequent Genesis they put out, it seems. So I'm guessing the next one would be Super Nintendo, is that correct? Yes, and then we get into the Super NES, or Super Famicom, at about 1991. That one came out, and uh, then that really brought in the 16-bit era. The Genesis, also technically 16-bit. However, the Super NES, it did have a slightly slower CPU than the Genesis did. So it was tougher to introduce fast-paced action games or sports games to the Super NES, but the big advantage it had, it had the Mode 7 graphics scaling capability. If you play games like Pilot Wings or F-Zero, right when it came out, you had these really smoothly scrolling 3D environments, and that really made the system stand out. Plus, it had brilliant colors, and I think what really made the Super NES stand out was its Sony-designed sound chip, which was able to create a vast uh, number of sound samples and I think some of the music produced during the Super Nintendo's reign is some of the most memorable out there. People think of the Final Fantasies on the Super NES or Chrono Trigger, Secret of Mana, pretty much anything made by Squaresoft in those days. They had some really beautifully done compositions. Now, that, that graphics chip that you were talking about earlier, the one with the, uh, the, that was making the, the, those uh, environments, was that the same one that was used in Star Fox? Absolutely. When Star Fox came around about 1994... Nintendo was looking for something to counter the Sega CD and the, the TurboGrafx CD. Super NES didn't have a CD add-on, so they were looking for something to attract the customers. So they contracted with a British company called Argonaut Software, which was very successful in producing rudimentary 3D models on the Super NES hardware. So Nintendo brought those guys from Argonaut in, and they developed a uh, extra chip to put on the game cartridge that would interface with the Super NES to create the 3D environments, and they called that the Super FX chip. It's actually a DSP chip. Uh, I think it's a digital shader processor. So they could create these wireframes and then fill them in to make them look like uh, complete polygons. Oh. And that's how you got the effects in Star Fox with this onboard chip added onto the cartridge. So you said that... Uh that the next thing, the next thing in line in terms of hardware was a CD-based uh, systems. Is that correct? Yes, that was seen to be the future then, because by 1995 you had you had the Sony PlayStation, the Sega Saturn, both had moved to CD-based media. It was only Nintendo that refused to move on to CDs, and they stuck with the cartridges with their subsequent machine, the Nintendo 64. So the Nintendo 64, that was was that. Uh, so we we went 8-bit, 16-bit. We had the CDs, which are you know kind of not bit, I guess, at all, or and then we it's jumped sort straight of in to, between, yeah. And then we jumped straight to 64-bit for the Nintendo 64, or was that 32? Well, I think the 64, they did clarify it as being a 64-bit processor, and it certainly had a lot of power under the hood. It was able to produce some pretty sophisticated graphics on a cartridge base, so having that limitation with the cartridges meant you couldn't have games quite as long as on the CDs, but even then, it had a lot of power. It was able to produce some really sophisticated visuals. But I want to point out, when you come to 
64 bits, there was actually another machine before the N64 that advertised that, and that was the Atari Jaguar. And that one didn't do very well. It was ultimately kind of in between where the Super NES and the PlayStation was at graphically. Mm-hmm. What's What's next after the Nintendo 64? I think once you get past the Nintendo 64, you end up with uh, the Sega Dreamcast came out in 1999. And that was sort of the ultimate expression of Sega's hardware building efforts. Because over the years, Sega was always experimenting with what kind of add-ons and capabilities they could put on their machines. I guess the next couple systems in line would probably be, uh, what, PlayStation, PlayStation 2, that kind of stuff? Or was that before That's the Dreamcast? That's right. You have the PlayStation 2 comes out after the Dreamcast. And that pretty much took everyone's attention because the, the tech demos they were using to advertise the PS2 were unlike anything ever seen before. It was a pretty mind-blowing thing seeing uh, Metal Gear Solid 2's uh, trailer, all the detail put into the games. They have these lifelike character models. It was like watching a film. And do you know... But also, uh, in response, you had the Xbox, too, coming around that time. So with the Xbox, then you have a hard drive included standard with every machine. And the PlayStation 2 also did have a hard drive released for it. It didn't work with many games, but you could have a Ethernet or a broadband adapter and a hard drive on your PS2, and the Xbox had both of those features built in standard. So then they were functioning like computers, essentially. And I guess that's why when you see Xbox, you know, the Xbox is so close to a computer, that's why you see a lot of the titles for Xbox and Xbox 360 easily being ported over to, like, uh, PC gaming. Is that, is it's that... a natural fit, yes. Yeah. So then, uh, I guess after that, unless there's any other, you know, strange, esoteric Japanese uh, uh, consoles I'm forgetting, uh, <laughs> it would be, what, Xbox 360, PlayStation 3, uh, and that, that kind of stuff? And then, of course, That's the Wii. Right. Now right? we have the yes, you have the Wii in there. But I think the true, the high definition systems now are the PS3 and the Xbox 360. Well, Ken, thanks so much for uh, for joining us here and uh, for being our first ever uh, directly over Google Voice interview. Uh, Ken Canope, uh, I would call him an expert. Of course, in the, you know he probably wouldn't call himself an expert, but I certainly would in uh, in classic video games and video game architecture. Ken, thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Ty. It's been my pleasure. And wow. thanks again to Ken. That was it was really interesting. That's wasn't great, it? Ty. That's so awesome. Well, good job with that. And this is the first time I, I've you know if 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 anybody else has done this you know prove me wrong but if I think this is the first time we've ever done fully Google Voice on oh, the yeah. radio. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. So uh, that was just great. Uh, so we've got uh, still we've got John and Mike here in studio with us. Uh, we wanted to mention a couple of things. First of all, uh, the new Union South, uh, the new South Campus Union at 1308 West Dayton Street is opening tomorrow, April 15th at noon o'clock p.m. And there's going to be festivities and food and all sorts of stuff going on. And Biddy Martin is speaking at 3. And uh, Do It Live might even make an appearance over there. So come on by. Might. Oh, more might. like will. Will, yeah. yeah. So come on by. And also going on this weekend, starting today, the Engineering Expo, which has over 60 different exhibits covering all sorts of engineering and science-related fields, is available and open. Uh, right now, they're doing middle schoolers today. They're doing high schoolers tomorrow, right, guys? Oh, yeah. And, and, the, and the general public is allowed to come, too. I know it's free to UW students and faculty staff, and it's a nominal charge for the, the general public. So, mm -hmm. um, One of my good friends is actually, uh, is actually in the Expo. He's made, like, a giant LED landscape. Uh, he's a 
He's a crazy guy. He likes yeah. LEDs a lot. If you go on their website, it's heavily <laughs> focused around robotics, but um, there's a, there's all sorts of really cool stuff. Um, I'm sure last time I was there, it was great stuff with plastic injection molding and, uh, and 3D printers. I'm sure they're doing stuff with. Somebody typically has a Rube Goldberg yeah. set up. Oh, that's cool. Oh, really? I love yeah. that. Oh, man. It's good, t- good yeah. stuff. Lots of ones and zeros going around the room. <laughs> so, so, guys, tell us about Engage. What is Engage? Well, Engage is a program that supports innovative teaching and learning projects of uh, many kinds. And, uh, you know, they've done projects on podcasting and uh, digital assignments. And uh, we've got an upcoming one on uh, data visualization. But the one that supported this this project is called uh, Simulations and Games. Cool. And uh, uh, I think there were like, I'm not sure, seven, eight, nine uh, different game projects that came out of this. And so they were basically the sponsors behind the, the cryogenics game, the one that yes. you, you guys created. Yep, okay. they provided the money. Very interesting. You know, one of the things that I, f- I find interesting in, uh, you know, the upcoming educational games, the upcoming technology, is probably the possibility of the second coming of, of virtual reality. I don't know, you know, when I, when I was a kid... I used to see all these movies, uh, Lawnmower Man and Lawnmower Man 2, and there was a lot of stuff, you know, that was talked. There was one called, I can't remember what it was called, but it was a robot that came from virtual reality. It was on the sci-fi channel. What about the one with uh, Kirk Douglas and Demi Moore? Oh, um. It it was very loosely based around technology that had nothing to do with the main plot, but they had that 3D (laughs) visualization thing you put on the glasses in the hotel room. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I I don't remember the name of it. If you know the name of it, call us right now. (laughs) But, um, but yeah, you know, back in the 80s, I mean, that, that was kind of a cool thing we we're talking about virtual rea- reality and then it kind of faded out but now today with you know 3d glasses with the connect you know knowing where you are kind of creepily but knowing where you are you know i mean this could be the second coming of virtual reality uh, what do you guys think do you, you guys think that you would well a do you guys think you would use you know technology like that if so what would you use it for and you know what do you think of it well i can imagine uh, wanting this for the same uh, reason that we built the game we have now wanting to develop some things where you could create a virtual reality of being in a lab and doing some kind of classic experiment uh, you know and and perhaps because it's virtual reality you could have the explosion happen in the lab or you could have the room <laughs> fill up with uh, helium gas and and uh, Things that you wouldn't otherwise do in, in real life. You say to the students, that'll teach you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I think there could be a lot of uh, possibilities for education and especially training, you know, for not just science, but for a lot of different jobs if you were to implement virtual reality. Yeah. You know, could you guys see, see yourself maybe getting another, uh, <laughs> another grant in the next, you know, 10 years or something and <laughs> sure. making, the, making the labs full of helium gas? <laughs> It's like Thomas Edison became an expert because he made all the possible mistakes. So if you had made a game where it was possible to make all of the mistakes and you still survived, that would be that's, pretty cool. That's right. He was known for his one success, not his many failures, right? Yep. right. Yeah. Well, we did. I did want to just mention a little bit more about the Engage program. You can go to www.doit.wisc.edu forward slash engage. And they sort of help folks like you who are looking to do interesting things with learning get hooked up with the right technology so that you can do whatever you need to do. And they make it very pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fun group. You, you're basically interacting with like minds all across campus, and uh, the, uh, the, the environment is just a lot of fun, sharing thoughts, sharing ideas, collaborating. 
Yeah. yeah, one of the things that I've learned about games from working on this project is just how many different types of talent have to come together to make mm. a game. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to have the subject matter expert like John. You got to have the graphic artists. You need sound. You need, you know, obviously the programming. Um, Sounds like our theater show need we did to a couple weeks the, ago. <laughs> you know, your educational goals in mind, and you know, it takes a diverse set of people working very closely together to to make a successful game. Yeah, excellent. Well, folks, the hour has again flown by with us. Uh, Ty, thanks, thanks for being here as always, and, and well, riding this know, ride. It, you, you, I, we couldn't have done it without you because obviously you know a lot more about programming things, which because you have your CS degree and I right. do not. So and you know the general nerdiness with games. You know. Yeah, exactly. Now I'm gonna go home and work on my WoW character for a while. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Anyway, we did really, really want to thank John Fotenhauer, uh, Mike Litzko, Dave Gagnon, and uh, Chris as well for coming in and chatting with us today. Uh, Jesse had fabulous news as always. Thank you, sir. Really appreciate it. Sandy Cyberlixa here in studio with and us. And Ken for being our first Google complete. Google Voice interview. Yeah, Ken, yeah. that was great. Uh, and we also have Steve in the studio. Rock and Soul Oasis coming up at 3 o'clock right now, uh, right after us. But we have to give some special thanks out to our management team at the Division of Information Technology, Perry Brunelli, Ryan Hansen, Edward Hoover, Brian Kister, Jack Leepak, Ty Leto, Neil Mack, Howie Mead, Mark Nessel, Brian Rust, Bill Zimmerman are all of our managers, and we'd like to thank them. The Director of User Services is Kathy O'Brien. Our Duet's Chief Operating Officer is John Krogman, our Interim CIO, and Vice Provost for Information Technology is Joanne Berg. Today's broadcast was produced by Ty Christian, Sandy Cyberlick, and Adam Wiesenfarth. Our associate producers are Laura Grady, Teresa Saldana, and Nate Cohen, with assistance from Dan Collins, Matthew Sirianni, and the Nates, Harrison Weber, and Zastro. Our on-air producer and director of e-communications is Matt Rockwell, and our theme music is from Conan. The executive producer of Do It Live is Jesse LeGrew. Join us next week right here on WSUM 91.7 FM, The Snake on the Lake, where we will be talking about all of the new technology in the brand new South Campus Union, and we're going to be broadcasting live from there. Hope you have a great week. We will see you soon. Tides that I tried to swim